Good morning, everybody. If uh, you don't know who I am, I'm, I'm Robert Frere. I'm uh, one of the elders here at Lakeside. My wife is Jenny. She'll be up there singing today. I have an 18-year-old son, almost 19, Bobby. He often plays guitar there. My daughter, Madeline, is 17. You'll see her up there playing the bass today. And my youngest son is Ben, and he's 11. And so uh, one of the things I really enjoy doing is, is teaching, and so I thank Joe for the opportunity to do so. While he's not here, you can, you can ask him something for me next week. You know, Derek Jeter is supposed to, be, uh, supposed to have been this great player, right? Now, last year he was on the Yankees, and they ended up in what, third place, fourth place? This year, no Derek Jeter, and they're in first place. So what does that say about Derek Jeter? That's a question you can ask him for me next week. <laughs> no, no, no questions right now. <laughs> All right. Anyways, one of the things that uh, I, I work primarily in the in the youth group, if you're in ministry-wise, I, you know, I have a full-time job. I work in the computer industry, and for ministry. My family, for the most part, is in the youth group, and so I love teaching people of all ages, from the the children. I, I work in the children's ministry sometimes, and we'll teach from the four-year-olds and five-year-olds, and I used to be the uh, primary teacher of the friendship class, which is the senior citizens, and so I have a wide wide range of people that I enjoy teaching, and one of the things that I like to do is I just try to ask you some questions and to have some some interaction to what we're what we're doing here because one of the things is, is I want us to think through some of the things that we're going to be talking about this morning and to and to if you have questions because you know a lot of the things I'm going to say today I'm uh, I'm thinking that the majority of the people are going to not have any problem with what I'm saying but maybe you do and if you do I want you to ask the questions so that we can we can help each other understand what's going on. And another thing is, since I don't get to, uh, I'm not teaching on a regular Sunday by Sunday basis, and I don't preach very often. Sometimes what I do is I'll, I'll use opportunities like this to in my preparation for a sermon. So I'm going to be preaching in in August over the same type of material that I'm talking about here. So as we talk about it and discuss, and your questions or your comments will help me understand if I'm, if I'm being clear or unclear or if I need to expand something out or, or what goes on next. So feel free to ask me any questions or make any comments you have about what we're, what we're talking about here. So we're going to be going into Romans 6 today. Now, one of the uh, trials of being a... Sometimes teacher where I don't have several weeks all together is I find it very hard to do verse by verse expository teaching because I would have to spend half my time or so trying to gain a context for where we're at before we could actually get into what's going on. And so I do more, not topical, but I take a passage and I and I discuss something that goes with it. So when we talk about salvation... There are different components of salvation that are, that are built into the word salvation. Uh, one of those things would be justification. 
Can anybody tell me what is justification? And is it a one-time event or is it a process? One-time event? All right. Anybody else? Being declared righteous before God and by God, we would say you're justified by God. And how do we become justified? By grace through faith, right? We are, we are justified by the grace of God through faith. That God uses the means of preaching of the word and our response to the preaching of the word to bring us to salvation. Right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We're saved by grace through faith. Okay? So do we all agree it's a one-time event? Right? One-time event. Now, the Catholic... Go ahead. Okay. So the, the, the truth of Scripture is that, is that justification is a one-time event, but we as human beings can oftentimes uh, doubt and struggle and be unsure and struggle with that a few times, and and if you uh, many of you I know from the uh, baptism ministry as well. I I've been teaching the when we have a baptism, I, I teach a class beforehand, and I'll tell you what I've seen now. I'm sure I can say over a hundred testimonies, and there are a lot of testimonies that that talk about. You know, at one point they thought they were saved, then they they went away and they realized later on in life that they that they weren't saved earlier so it's it's a not a uncommon situation in the in the church or in people's lives to to have that sort of a long time situation where you're not sure whether you are saved or not saved and i always tell people in baptism as well that there is no I don't need you to have a particular date that you can write on the calendar and say this is the day that I was that I was justified because sometimes many times it can be a process that's over that's going on and we don't know the exact day that we were justified but we know we were justified by God's grace through faith okay the fact that we are not real clear on every aspect of it as far as in our personal lives doesn't negate the fact that Scripture tells us that justification is a one-time event where the Bible uses different words, but where God takes us out of the kingdom of darkness and brings us to the kingdom of light, where we pass from death to life, where we become a new creature, the old has passed away, the new has come. There's many different ways that the Bible talks about that, but once it's not a... Nobody is half justified or three quarters justified. You're either justified before God or you're not. Right now, this is a little different than the the Catholic Church would do because the Catholic Church, as part of their false gospel, is they would they would indicate that you are justified through the sacraments, and that if you sin, if you commit a mortal sin, you can go from being justified to being unjustified and then you have to go back through the process to become justified again and in fact that's why they have a purgatory because to them they would say god cannot declare you to be righteous unless you really have no sin in your life and how many people die with no sin in their lives we would say no one does, right? So 
what happens then is then you have to go to purgatory for the rest of that sin to be punished, paid for, burned away before you can go to heaven. And that's why we would say that the Catholic gospel is not a true gospel because, again, it puts all the emphasis on us being making ourselves free from sin in order to be saved, as opposed to being saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, what about sanctification? Justification, sanctification. Is sanctification a one-time event or an ongoing process? Or a future event? Ongoing process, all right. Does it, would anybody say it's a one-time event? Okay. So you would say that there's a, an aspect of sanctification that was a one-time event. All right. Would it help you if I said that the word sanctification means being set apart? Right. So I would, I would agree that it was a one-time event and it is a process and it will be a coming event as well. But the fact is, is that when you are justified by grace through faith, you are in fact sanctified, set apart. Then our lives are spent in obedience to God working out our salvation with fear and trembling to work the the work the good works that God has called for us to do and while we are doing that we are being sanctified Romans 12:2 can somebody read that for me and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God all right. So there we talk. It talks about renewing your mind, not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That as we do the work that God has called us to do, while we learn to pray and to meditate on his word, to read his word, to grow in knowledge and wisdom, that that is all an aspect of sanctification. And very important here. We are not doing sanctification on our own. But while we are striving to be obedient to God, He is changing us from grace to grace inside as we are doing the work of obedience and trusting the Lord. And, you know, I know many of you here have gone through many severe trials in your life. Right? Well, what happens in a trial? If we depend on the Lord through that trial, when we come out the other end of that trial, we have strengthened our faith. God hasn't changed any, but we have strengthened our faith because we have seen now in our experience the faithfulness of God in, in His Word and in keeping what He has said. So, sanctification, when we talk about this renewing of our minds, the change in our lives, what we are saying is that, that God justifies us upon our conversion. In our conversion, we are justified. We are also set apart or sanctified at that point. But then God is not done with us, but he also has for us a plan. And part of that plan is to do the good works which he has called for us. If somebody could read Ephesians 2.10. 
I went over Ephesians in the, in the youth group and and I kept hammering on them week after week this verse because a lot of people want to know what the will of God is in their life and it, it pretty much says it. All right, you got one over here? Who's going to read it for me? All right, for we are his workmanship. Workmanship is his masterpiece. We are the product of God's work. All right, we're saved by grace through faith. We are the product of God's work. We are created for what? For good works. Okay, so why are you here? If you're a believer today, why are you here? To glorify God by doing what? By doing good works. All right. Now, any good works? Which good works are we to do? In that verse that says it there, right? It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we shall walk in them. Okay, so, before the foundation of the world, God determined the good works that he would have you perform in him bringing about his will on the earth. So, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And walking in them means what? What does it mean to walk in good works? Doing them, right? What, what other word could you stick there instead of? To live. to live. To live in them, right? When the Bible's talking about walking in something, most of the time it's talking about living that out, living in those works, all right? So those good works that he's prepared us for are part of sanctification because as we do these things some of us go through the tragedy of losing a, a child in in um, before they are born losing a child or some of us have, have lost child children when they were young or when they get older or people have I know people in here have you know had to deal with cancer or, or loved ones have had to deal with cancer all these things that have come in, we've, we've had our loved ones die on us. Whether they died young or they died older, the, the pain is still real. The emotions are still there. The loss is still, is still real. So all of these things that we experience are not foreign to God, but instead are part of his plan. They're all purposeful, and they're all part of setting up the good works which God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. Okay? Now, what about glorification? What is glorification? Uh, you know, Romans 8 talks about we are justified, those who justified, and now we're going to glorify. So what does is, what is glorified mean? Okay? So... So part of that would mean, it, it, and I would agree that glorification means that we are, we are removed from the presence of sin, that we receive new bodies that are not stained by sin to go with the new nature that we already have. So we will have a new nature, that new nature and that new body, 
and therefore be not in the presence of sin anymore. And that's a one-time event that will happen in the future. For everyone who's living today, it will happen in the future. Now, that sort of uh, assumes something or, or tells us something. If we're not glorified yet, what does that mean about our lives today? Do we struggle with sin today? Does anybody not struggle with sin today? You know, that's oftentimes a, a quandary or a, or a, a paradox to people because the, the, the thing is, God says that he makes us a new creature. You know, 1 Corinthians tells us that we are a new creature, the old has passed away, the new has come. But the thing is, with this being this new creature, how come if we have a new heart, a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone, if we've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of light, if we're given this these good works that we are to walk in, why is it that we still sit? Any answers? We're in the same body, right? Same circumstances. Same circumstances. We have the same brain, right? Our brain still things that we still have this flesh. I get hungry when it's lunchtime. If I have to do something before lunch, before I actually get lunch, I can get irritated. I can get angry. All kinds of things still come into effect because we still are in the flesh. Right? Every believer is in the flesh. So we all struggle with, with the desire to sin, yet our spirit has been renewed and it desires to please God. So when somebody says struggling with sin... It's truly the believer who struggles with sin because we have a desire to obey God and we have a flesh that desires us to disobey God and, it's, and it is a struggle throughout this life. Throughout that process of sanctification, we're always going to struggle with our flesh because our flesh wants what it wants. Did you have something, John? You could say something. Yes. Yeah, Romans 7 is a good place, in, and I'm not going to go there right now, but Romans 7 would be a good place because Paul, and a lot of people say, because he uses really strong words there, some people will say he must be referring back to before he was a Christian. But I'm convinced that in, in chapter 7 of Romans that he is a Christian, and he's lamenting what we just talked about this. The things he wants to do, he doesn't do. The things he doesn't want to do, those he ends up doing. Well, that's the, that's the same experience that we all have in our lives as believers because we do, in fact, know what, if we are a believer, we, we know that we are saved by God's grace, yet we still struggle with, these, with the sin and with desires to sin. And that's what the Bible talks a lot about, temptation and, and fighting temptation. All right, so that's my intro. Now we're ready for the, um, we have till 10.30, right? No? 10.15, so we'll, we'll go from there. All right, so let's, let's look at uh, chapter 6 of Romans here. And this is on this topic. But it says, it starts off by saying, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, of course, right here we actually have to go back into chapter 5 just a little bit to understand what's what's the genesis of this question. What's he trying to answer? Or what does he say? So in the, in verse 20 of chapter 5, it says, Now that the law came in, 
the end to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so the, the thing is, is Paul is saying that, look, sin is comes in, but grace abounds even more than the sin. That God's grace covers that sin, that his grace is greater than our sin. That if you say, I can't be saved because I'm too great a sinner, God's grace is greater than all the sin that you have done or will do. His grace is greater. So then the question comes in, well, if that's true, then I should become the worst sinner possible because that will show God's grace even more. Right? He will he will be able to demonstrate his grace even more because even as I'm sinning, he paid for all of that, all of that, all of that. Right? So that's what somebody might say. Now, what's Paul's answer to that question? Should we sin so that grace may abound? What's his answer there in the passage? No. God forbid. May it never be. Okay? And so he's saying that's just crazy. It just doesn't make any sense to, to, to go down that path. But now here's my question for you. Why is that true? Right? Read the next few verses and tell me why is it crazy to contemplate uh, sinning so that grace may abound? Why is that an impossible situation for a believer? Okay, that you would be separated from God? So as, uh, when we sin, we are, we are rebelling against God. We are sinning even if I do something wrong to another person. I'm sinning against God when I'm doing that. And so sin is rebellion against God. All right. But his grace comes through every time I do that. He demonstrates that he's greater and greater. So you've got the right, you have the right answer. But I want, I want to go from this passage. And I want to try to see what is his reasoning. Why? Go ahead. All right. Our old self has been crucified. And then therefore what? All right. Good. So that's where I was trying to get to with this, right? This is the same answer you were saying, but it's the, I want to get this. The thing is, the Bible says that we are a new creation. It says in here, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So if you are a believer, if you have been saved by God's grace through faith, it wasn't just something mental that happened. It wasn't just this idea it wasn't that you joined a church or that you decided not to do something, not to watch football on Sunday mornings, but to come to church. That's not what, what caused you to become a, a Christian. But that when you repented of your sins and placed your faith in Christ, through the, by the grace of God, through that faith, you became a new creature. And what are the characteristics of this new creature? What is this new creature like? Absolutely. And I like that, I like that phrase, an overwhelming desire, because that's, that's part of the point of being a new creature. Ephesians 2 tells us that before we became believers, we followed the course of this world, which was given to us by the prince of the power of the air which would be Satan himself. 
So, the thing is, is that everyone who is apart from Christ, knowingly and most unknowingly, are following a pattern that is at war with God and is in cahoots with Satan himself. It's what Satan wants you to do. That's what this world is manifesting. But when we become a believer, we are a new creature. The heart of stone is taken out and a heart of flesh is put in. You are new. And so as a new creature, you have that, you have that desire. I, 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 I want to obey what my Lord and Savior tells me to obey. Right? This is what we, when we went through 1 John, uh, when uh, Pastor Steve went through 1 John, this is what those, those tests of our salvation that go on in 1 John, it's do you love the brethren? Do you love God? Do you obey His commandments? Those are the things, right? And the reason those are the tests is because a new creature desires those things, right? Uh, one of the pictures people use is of a lion, right? If somehow you could take out the, you know, if you had a gazelle, and if somehow you could keep the body of that gazelle and pull out its nature and bring in the nature of a lion, that gazelle, would he still want to eat grass and, and all that? No, he wouldn't. He would want to hunt and eat meat because that is what a lion does. So therefore, when we are believers, what a believer does is desire to obey God. What a, what a believer does is love God and glorify God and worship God. That's what a believer does. Right? Do we do that perfectly? No, we just talked about that, right? When we talked about those things. We struggle because at the same time, while our inner desire is to do these things that God has called us to do, to glorify God, to obey Him, to love Him forever, at the same time, we're struggling with this body of flesh that wants to satisfy itself. All right, and I absolutely agree with what you're saying. Now, why did you say... Why do you make that distinction? Okay, so could a non-believer do the good works of God by reading the Bible and, and trying to obey everything it says and gain favor with God through his actions of obedience to what he reads in the Bible? Could he do that? All right. He could not do that because that would be, he would still be dead in his sins. Romans 8 tells us, hold on one second. Romans 8 tells us that the man in the flesh cannot please God. The man who is in the flesh cannot please God. So even the good things that a man in the flesh does, loving his neighbor, giving to the poor, any of the things you can think of, is still not pleasing to God because everything, there's a concept, there's a, a teaching in Scripture that's called total depravity. 
And what total depravity tells us is that sin has affected every part of who you are. Your thought process, what you think is good, how you act, and all that. It doesn't mean, total depravity doesn't mean every part of you is as evil as it could be. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is every part of you is stained by evil. So that if a non-believer is doing things that the Bible tells him to do, well, that's not a bad thing for him, but it doesn't please God. What pleases God is for us to repent of our sins and come in faith to Jesus Christ. Right? Because without, uh, without his son's uh, payment for that sin, then the sin would have continued on, unabated. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying there. Um, well, we, yes, and we, we all know that we need the work of Christ. Without the work of Christ, we're not talking about anything here. We're, we were, we'd be talking about, do you want to be on the left-hand side of the sinking boat or the right-hand side of the sinking boat? It would all be the same. The, the most immoral person you know or the most religious person you know, if they are not saved by God's grace, their outcome is the same. Now, there were people that tried to obey the commands of God and, and were seen as being very religious and very close to God. What would we call those people? Pharisees. That's what the Bible calls them. Pharisees, right? They, they tried. They, they would read the Bible. They would do the... And, would, of course, they would, it was the Old Testament. But they would read the commands and they would make a show of obeying them. Now, Jesus came and he demonstrated how they weren't doing that. But they made a show of it, right? They did fast one day a week. They did give a tithe of their, you know, of their money and stuff like that, all right? So they did some good things, but they were of no value to them, and they could not do them properly because they were unregenerate. They were non-believers. Now, Going back to where I started this coming from this is there are there are people in the church at large. I'm not saying at Lakeside. I'm saying if you read Christian blogs and, and follow what's going on, there's there's a group of people who, one, they say that sanctification was a one-time event and that... If you try to obey the commands of, of God, if you try to obey biblical commands, you are being legalistic and being like the Pharisees. Now, I would say there is an aspect of sanctification that's a one-time event, like we talked about, but there is, throughout Scripture, the imperatives to obey the commands and to grow in grace as it, as it shows us. So that sanctification is also a process. But here's the other aspect of it. Is it possible to compare the actions and reactions of Jesus to the actions of the Pharisees to a believer today desiring to obey what God has commanded? Can you make that comparison between those two? We can't see their heart, right? We can't, we can't go to the motivations of what people are doing. All right? 
So part of what you're saying there is, is some people could, a believer could be doing the right things for the wrong reasons. You could be showing up at church every Sunday, but really would rather be sitting at home. Right? But, okay, so that would be true, and I absolutely agree with that. But there's another aspect. Think about what we just talked about this morning. Why would it be an incorrect comparison to compare the Pharisees of the times of Jesus with a believer who reads the Bible and tries to obey what it says today? And why didn't they have the Holy Spirit? More than that. Go ahead. What's your second reason? Jesus being right in front of them and they rejected him. Absolutely. So they did not have faith in Christ and so they were unregenerate, unbelievers. And a believer today is and he has the Holy Spirit because he is regenerate, right? So I would say that the basis of that comparison that makes that comparison false is you cannot compare the actions and motivations of an unregenerate person with those of a regenerate person, a believer. Because, what did we just talk about? The, the believer is a new creature with a new nature. So... It is a it is a a comparison that has no value to it to say, oh well if you're you know Jesus condemned the Pharisees when they were the ones who were trying to obey the law all the time, so you shouldn't try to obey the law now, because you would be fair like a Pharisee. The Pharisees didn't recognize they needed salvation. They were unsaved people. A saved person will desire to obey the word, and so a saved person is not to be compared with a Pharisee. Now, can a saved person act, like we just said that, you know, Debbie just mentioned that, a, a saved person can, with improper motives, do actions that the Bible says to do, right? It says, it says, you know, to, what's a command I can say? What the, it, yeah, there are a lot of saved, uh, unsaved people that are charitable, and there, and there are, there are unsaved people that are very generous to the poor, and I would say more generous than I am oftentimes. Okay? But that doesn't make my generosity to the poor wrong because I'm not as generous as someone else, because my desire is to be generous. And if I'm. Right. And so we, we have different parts of emphasis, though we all are. are under to obey the commands of, of Scripture, right? So when it tells for me to be kind to my enemies, right? Well, I could be kind to my enemy, and well, there's a country song that says, <laughs> "I like country music." There's a country song that says, "You know, I don't like you, but I went to church today, and the and the pastor said I should pray for you, so I pray that uh, you know, that you get hit in the head by a piano." I Pray that you get sick and miss your, uh, you know, I pray that you get fired. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's obviously not the right motivation for praying for your enemies, right? So we, can, we as believers can do wrong things. But it is not wrong for a believer to do what the Bible calls us to do. Now, just 
to some people, and, and again, maybe you haven't heard these things or maybe you, you haven't heard them in the way I'm presenting them, but there are some people who will say that since we are still struggle with the flesh, that we cannot have pure motivations to obey any commandment. Therefore, the Bible gave us those commands not to obey them, but to show us that we can't obey them. Therefore, we should just, instead, we should focus on worshiping Christ for paying for our sins. Right Now, is it wrong to worship Christ for paying for our sins? Is that wrong? No. That we should, every day, we should remember that we are saved by God's grace through faith. That's not the same thing as saying, I'm not going to do what, what Christ commands me to do because I can't do it perfectly and I will fail and I'll fall. Instead, what do we do? We give, our, we give an effort. We, in the Spirit, we attempt to do those things that God has called us to do, knowing that we will fail. And you know what's great about that? Is that God knows we will fail as well. But if we are going to be more like Christ, how can we be more like Christ if we fail to do what he commands us to do? Because what does Jesus say? In John 5, Jesus says, Everything I see the Father do, that is what I do. All right? And what does Paul say? Everything that you have seen in me and heard from me, Put these things into practice. Right? That doesn't sound to me like we're supposed to not put them into practice, but it sounds to me like we are supposed to put them into practice. Mike? Absolutely. And I know I'm running out of time here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to conclude with... I want to take us down to um, verse 19, Romans 6. Now, I was going to walk us through 1 through 19... But I kind of got distracted there, so, but uh, that's fine. 19. All right, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Okay, so... What is he saying there? We used to be, what, slaves to sin. And as a slave to sin, what did we do? We sinned, right? Because you're a slave to sin, what you will do is sin. And what will that sin lead to? Death, absolutely death. And here in the passage in my translation, it says lawlessness. Okay? Now, so there's a state... There's an action, and there's an outcome. Now, uh, he compares that to being a slave to righteousness. All right? If you're a slave to righteousness, what will you do? Right? You will do righteousness. And what is the outcome of your doing righteousness because you are a slave to righteousness? From here. 19. Holiness, right? Sanctification. And holiness, sanctification, I can, I can go with that. But 
So is sanctification a one-time event that occurred only once in at justification and then is not anymore? No, because right here it says, you do the works of righteousness because you are a slave to righteousness and that results in sanctification. So, when we talk about Scripture, understand that God knows that we are but dust. He knows that we are in these bodies of sin. But he calls us to obedience. He calls us to obey his commands and to do what he has said. And when we do these things, as Demo said several times here, it is the Holy Spirit who's going to be doing them in us as we perform these commands. It's not us through my, my own strength of fortitude that's going to make myself more sanctified. It is the Holy Spirit doing the work as I perform the actions in obedience to Christ. And in closing, 1 John says, If you love me, you will obey my commands. That's what he says. So, that is what we need to be doing in our Christian life, is obeying the commands, leading to more sanctification, and final glorification. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you do. Lord, I thank you that you have chosen us, that you've taken us who are are just sinners apart from you, enemies shaking our fist at you, and you saw fit to bring us into your kingdom of light. And Lord, I pray that we will be faithful to read your word, to hear the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and to do what you have called us to do. Just name we pray. Amen.